Welcome to the Profitable Accountant Podcast. I'm your host, Reza Huda, practice owner, coach, and mentor to accounting firm owners. In this podcast, I share practical strategies to get new clients, charge higher prices, and build a profitable accounting firm that you're proud of. From time to time, I also interview other accountants doing incredible things so you can learn what's working and take tangible takeaways to implement. Make sure you press the follow button on your podcast player so you get notified when I release a new episode. Now, on to today's session. Hello, hello. Hope you're well and have had a good start to the day. So, uh, it's been a week since we last spoke. What has gone on in my world since then? Uh, you did well say that you wanted to hear more of the snippets of my uh, day-to-day life. So here I am going to bore you with the details. So if you don't want to hear them, feel free to skip on forward a minute or so to get to the real substance of today's topic, which is all to do with what is the right structure for your firm. So fairly, um, uh, I would say it's not really been a quiet week. It has been um, interesting up and down the week, lots of stuff going on at home. We are having some works, big extension done to our house, so we've had to move out. So just managing the build and uh, if you've ever experienced doing any sort of uh, major renovations at home or building work, there's always going to be stuff that's gone wrong, which is what we found uh, uh, earlier on this week. So just I'm getting lots of calls from the builder several times a day, which I'm not used to really because I'm not uh, used to being uh, bothered that much on my phone. But these days with the with the build going on, <laughs> that has been a regular occurrence. So just have that down. Plus also I've been planning my trip to Dubai. I'm heading to Dubai next month to set up Capture Accounting out there because we do a lot of, uh, we help a lot of our uh, content creator and influencer clients with emigrating to Dubai and setting up entities there. We handle their accounting there as well, now that there are accounting requirements in Dubai and corporation tax has been introduced there as well. So we've been doing that for them, but without a trade license, without uh, an entity out there, we still have to go through third parties for that. So I'm just going out there to set up our entity. Unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to benefit from all the tax advantages that Dubai has because I'll still be living here in the UK, which is a huge shame. But uh, at least it will give us the ability to do some of the work that we are currently passing to third parties. So again, helping to increase the revenue stream for capture. And I guess just on a side note, this is what happens. You know, when you specialize and you go narrow and deep into one particular sector, then all of a sudden opportunities open up to you. You become a lot more valuable. So as we've gone narrow and deep, we've found that a lot of our clients, they've needed help with moving to Dubai, with non-residence issues. So we've immersed ourselves more and more into that space. And now we've seen that actually we're helping them with this bit, but we can't do the formation side of things in Dubai. So then we looked into, well, what if we could and it turns out that we can and now we're taking steps to make that happen as well so you know this is what happens you when you immerse yourself there's so much depth into any one particular area that you can become so much more valuable in that space to a particular group of people and to get paid more for a privilege and not have to worry about where your next client is coming from because you become sought after, you are the expert, you are the authority and people seek you out to want to work with you. It becomes much easier to find clients when you 
go narrow and go deep into one particular area. So that's just on a side note. I thought I'd mention that. What else is going on? I am delivering a series of talks on the road for QuickBooks as part of a Get Connected event. So I'll be touring the UK uh, next month as well in October. So if you are in or near either of these places, starting with Glasgow uh, on the 10th of uh, October, I believe, and then I'm in Reading on the 12th, and then I am in... Cheltenham, I think, on the 17th, and then the Brighton event, which was supposed to be on the 4th of October, I think that's been shifted now to the 9th of November instead. There was a Leeds one as well, which I can't make, unfortunately, because I'm in Dubai, but if you're any of those four places in or near Glasgow, Reading, Brighton, or Cheltenham, it'll be great to see you come along to the QuickBooks Get Connected events. I think they're free. I'm doing one of the talks and the breakout sessions, so uh, yeah, come along, um, go to the Google QuickBooks Get Connected, you should be able to see the page to sign up for it. So I've been busy kind of preparing for that as well, um, preparing my slides, and also I need to do a recording for them in advance for people who can't make it. So yeah, I've been busy with that as well. What did I want to talk about today? So today's topic is all about what is the best structure for my firm. So I've been having a few conversations with people in my mastermind group on this topic and also my one-to-ones in terms of what is the right structure. Because we as accountants, we want to know. We have very analytical, structured minds. We want to know what is the right structure? What is the best structure for my firm as I grow and as I scale? You know, should I, I'm hearing about the pod structure. Should I have departments? Should I have portfolio client managers? What is the right structure for me as I grow? Who should my next recruit be? All these questions hopefully will will help to uh, provide you with some uh, uh, some steers, some directions, some of my own personal experiences and opinions on this to help you along your way. But the long and short of it is, is that there is no one right answer to this question. It all depends. It all depends on the type of firm that you have, the level of uh, work that you do in terms of complexity of work and how technical in terms of the technical expertise that's required to deliver upon the kind of work that you take on so for example if you are a boutique you know if you're getting complicated tax planning um work then you clearly need people who are technically minded to be able to support the delivery of that work so you need to know what kind of work are you doing and uh, the, the type of people that you need in terms of structure then there are some kind of fundamentals that I would suggest you kind of hold on to as the foundations. And those foundations that I mentioned even in my book are that a client should have a home. Every client should have a home. And what I mean by that is that we're not in the space of the likes of you know PwC, KPMG, where potentially they could have umpteen different contacts. But even then, even in the bigger firms, Clients want to have one main point of contact. Even I remember at PwC, you know, there would be a, you, you as, as the manager, you would have that main point of contact, and you would have a portfolio of clients that you dealt with, and you'd be supported on the work and the delivery side by you know assistant client, uh, assistant managers, juniors, etc. So similarly, in your firm, no matter what your size, you want to be able to have every client should have a home. So whether that you call them client managers, whether you call them something else, I call them client managers because they are managing client portfolios. So in terms of if you're looking to scale, you absolutely do need to have people who are able to perform that client manager role. They don't necessarily have to have the most years of experience and have to be experienced accountants and being able to do everything that's required, but they should be able to have the wherewithal, the client relationship skills in order to be able to manage clients and for clients 
to see them as a point of contact that they can go to with any questions that they have, any problems they may have, any advice that they may need, this person should be able to uh, manage that relationship. They don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but they should be in a position where they can provide maybe 70% of the answers and be able to find answers for the remaining 30% by signposting them perhaps to other people in the team that can then uh, provide those extra kind of technical input on it. So client manager, really important to have those in your practice. So if you are maybe if you're alone and you have maybe a few juniors and apprentices, I'd highly recommend you get someone who can actually do client management for you. Because if you don't, then that responsibility and expectation is always going to fall on you. Clients will always call you, clients will always email you, clients will always bother you if you don't have somebody competent that can manage the client relationship. And so by that, you need someone with good interpersonal skills who can have a conversation with clients, who can do the small talk, who clients feel comfortable in talking to and emailing because they are, you know, they have a personality that is helpful, that's endearing, that's able to be able to answer that client and give that client what they need. So in terms of, you know, how do we then feed off that? So we've got a series of client managers. So the way I see it, in terms of even in our firm, we have kind of a flat structure, fairly. We have client managers who are responsible for client portfolios. We have how many? One, two, three, four client managers. And then we have, I would say, support stroke, I mean, I don't really get hung up about labels um, because we have under the client managers, they are they're kind of a shared resource. So you could call them juniors. Sometimes we call them juniors. You could call them assistant client managers. You could call them client support because essentially what they do is they do support the client managers. So they do some work for the client managers and help them with their clients. But also they are client managers too in their own right for smaller clients. So I'm very much of, uh, you know, I like to give people responsibility early. And the sooner we can get them trained to handling clients, to being that first port of call for clients, for getting them accountable to the client, the better. Because as I've talked about before, my ladder of accountability. When people come in, they're introduced to my ladder of accountability, which means that they are responsible to their clients, first and foremost, their clients. And I want them to know that these are your clients. Because when your team are... Uh, given that responsibility to be accountable to their clients, they're not going to let them down. So if the client needs them, calls them, emails them, it's their responsibility. They feel that sense of accountability to their client. There's that ownership there. Rather than you controlling that relationship and then passing people work to do, you know, they may miss it, they may forget, they're not going to be as motivated and engaged to being responsible for that work if they just pass that work from a colleague in their uh, in the team or by you for example so the earlier you can get people taking responsibility for clients the better give them that accountability of the client relationship because then if something goes wrong and it, or you know say the client is not getting an answer then you know they're going to come down hard on that particular individual so that individual is more likely to not want to let their client down not want to accept their client because you have clearly laid out what your criteria is when it comes to quality of service and client delivery so client manager role that is the most important because that is what's going to help you to build a business as opposed to 
you being still tied into providing that client management role. You need to move yourself out of the business. You're not responsible for the work anymore, remember. You're responsible for the people who are then responsible for the work. So we have client managers, then we have support staff, and now what uh, we are kind of, as we're expanding, uh, client managers are now supported by a couple of um, bookkeepers as well, which we have uh, accessed from the Philippines through uh, onlinejobs.ph, which I've talked about before. So we have offshore team members in the Philippines who are now supporting client managers. Now again, like I said at the beginning, not, there's not going to be one structure that fits all. You've got to look at your people. So in terms of my people, they are, we've got client managers, some of whom have experience in doing year-end, some of whom don't. So we have Rakesh and Tracy who have been with a practice for we're celebrating actually tomorrow we're going out to have a big lunch and celebrate Tracy's 40th anniversary with the firm can you believe that she's been with the firm 40 years and she's still going strong she joined as a as a teenager back in 1983 I believe so 2023 marks her 40th anniversary so we're going out tomorrow big uh, celebration lunch and also you know get a cake and gift and all that kind of stuff so, and, and Tracy is superb. So Tracy has a, a mixed portfolio. She has a portfolio of clients that she deals with, but she's also very good at doing year-end. So her, together with her husband, Rakesh, who she met at the firm, they are kind of our year-end team, as it were. There's still others like Brendan who can do year-end accounts, but Rakesh and Tracy, we call them a year-end team. And that's just kind of come about because they have always done year-end, and Rakesh has that responsibility, ultimately, for reviewing the accounts before they go out, rather than myself. So they are the... And so they're responsible for that. So we have kind of have a mini year-end team, but also they don't just do year-ends. They also have responsibility for clients as well. They have their own respective portfolios where they may do also bookkeeping, VAT. Tracy doesn't do any tax returns, but Rakesh does all of our tax returns pretty much, or at least reviews them all before they go out and does all our personal tax stuff. So they've got mixed portfolios, and that has come about because that is part of their skill set. So you've got to look at your people as well. You don't want to shoehorn your people into doing something which they don't have the skill set for or are not uh, you know, technically qualified to do or have the experience to do. So look at what are the skills, what are the experience that each individual has and where will they be best placed in your firm based upon their skill set, technically what they can do, but also their skill set in terms of their uh, client relationship skills, you know, and also their people skills. So there are some managers, for example, I mean, Rakesh and Tracy, we call them managers, and they're great, and they've been around for, you know, donkey's years, but they are not that good at managing people. So in terms of uh, Tracy, for example, she's great. She's a great production mentality. She is the fastest that uh, person I've ever come across when it comes to churning out sets of accounts. She could do them super duper fast. But then again, you know, give her a team of people to look after and that's not her forte. So we, now we know that. We know, okay, fine. She may be a manager. She's managed her own portfolio. She's doing your own work. She can do those reviews. But training team members or having a team under her is not part of her skill set and probably never will be. So therefore, we need to restructure the team so that we are giving people or letting, allowing people to work in a way that utilizes their innate skills and talents, that allows them to work in their zone of genius, that complements their personality type. So Doris doesn't have anyone directly under her. She will support people when people have questions. She's more than happy to answer, but she's not really the person that is 
going to take a junior and nurture them and train them and coach them over time to be able to do what she does. Whereas on the other hand, we have someone called Doris in the team who's fantastic, who's got this like motherly like, um, uh, you know, candor where she's fantastic and the juniors love her and, uh, you know, they can go to her with her queries and she can support them. So she has a little team under her. She's got a team of uh, three people under her where she is responsible for their development, for their coaching, for their progression through the firm as well, for, you know, any uh, issues they may have. So knowing what your respective team members' skills and talents are will help you to put them in the right place. So in terms of so Doris, for example, doesn't have any year-end knowledge, experience. She's never done it before, so we don't get her to do year-end work. There's no point training her to do something she's never done when her time is best spent leveraging the skills and experience she already has, which is 30 years working with you know businesses, doing the VFO-type work. She does our VFD offering as well. So she is now she has a portfolio of clients. But again, you know she she likes doing the bookkeeping, even though I've told her several times that actually you know you don't need to do it. You can train. We can train other people. I can we can recruit others that help you do this. But she enjoys doing it because it gives her that inner insight into the business and allows her to actually have more meaningful touch points with the client because she'll spot things as she's processing some of the bookkeeping and she's very efficient anyway in terms of how she does it and uh, generates efficiencies in the process but also she does have support so for some of the clients for the more you know some of the repetitive tasks she has uh, you know access to a full-time offshore team member in the Philippines and also other team members who are in the support team to support her on that as well so that she's not the only point of contact for her clients there is a backup when she's away or when she's engaged on other things. So in terms of what you should look at, you want to look at, as I said, key thing is the foundations are you want to be able to have people who are capable of, of doing that client manager role. And then thereafter, look at the skills that are required. So if you, depending on the kind of work that you're doing, if you're doing more bookkeeping tough stuff, clearly you need good bookkeepers. So for that, I would recommend that... Uh, yeah, you could get juniors in, but then again, depending on their level of client relationship skills and also the level of competence and experience and how much training and support they would need from your client manager, which is going to then affect how much work that your client manager can handle. So you've got to take all these things into account depending on where you are in your journey. You know, uh, this conversation is different for you if you have, if it's just you and you've got two or three employees compared to if it's just you compared to if it's just you and a team of 10 and you're looking to scale. So the tidbits you want to take away is A, every client should have a home. B, you want to look at the skills of your team members and put the right people in the right seats. Hopefully you've got the right people on the bus, but then it's all about getting the right people on the right seats on that bus based upon their skills. And then it's about looking at, right, okay, well, how can we how can we support the delivery for the the team? So you'll probably know if you found it hard to recruit that client manager role is notoriously hard to recruit it's very hard to find good people in uh, the uk or the us or wherever you're listening to this who can do that role do it competently and give you you know uh, the, the trust and loyalty for years so that's a very difficult role to recruit for if you find them they're absolutely gold and look after them you know give them everything that they need in order for you to keep them for uh, as long as possible 
So once you've got that client manager, then it's about right figuring out where are their skill sets lined. Are they more of the doers? Are they more of the technicians? Or are they more of the they like the client relationship side, but they could do with support to kind of put systems in place for others to follow so for example we've got a team member in brendan who's fantastic at client relationships but now he's got more and more clients he needs support so we've got him access to a full-time team member in the philippines who he can now train um and it's it's cost effective for us as well in doing that and he knows that he has he can give you know the team member in the philippines as much work as he needs to because that is he has access to that sole resource he also has access to other members in the team to support him with uh, he can give accounts to Rakesh and Tracy if he's too busy they're the year-end team and also utilize other team members but they're more of a shared resource so again it's about having these conversations with your client managers to determine what support they need and and seeking their advice as to you know what what is what would what will support you better what if we did manage to bring on a few more clients clearly you would get busier what support would you need to make that happen or are you at a stage now where we've exhausted basically your capacity and anyone under you and now we need to recruit for a new client manager see the way i see it i've got one two three four client four good solid senior client managers who basically manage most of the clients in the firm and then we've got the three support staff who will have some of their own clients but support the client manager in the delivery and they've got two in the philippines who have direct access to one client manager each doris and brendan the way i see it is that we probably have capacity to bring on maybe another 100k worth of fees so that would take us to a million and beyond and that word so handled by our existing team of how many was that four client managers in the uk three support staff i've got karen so that's eight in the uk plus two in the philippines so 10 would be sufficient to support a million pound plus firm and then it's the case of right okay now if brendan is saturated with a number of client relationships he has to deal with and getting another person in the philippines would not really help because he would still be stretched with the queries that are coming in and the issues and the conversations that he's having regularly with clients that's the point where I would say, right, okay, now we need to recruit for another client manager to now start passing new clients onto that client manager. So at first, what you want to do is get client managers in space. Once their capacity is exhausted, you want to look at complementing that with up to a maximum of, say, two offshore team members say from the philippines supporting them or two trainees or two apprentices supporting them if they are of the personality trait where they are able to manage uh, a team of people like that of a couple of people underneath them um before we start then looking for another client manager the other thing that came to mind just now is what happens with things like payroll again we are quite fortunate that in our team all our client managers can do payroll they're trained to do payroll they before they joined us they knew how to do payroll uh, and our juniors as well there are out of the three junior support staff we have two of them are very competent doing payroll and do most of our payrolls anyway so payroll we didn't have an, uh, an issue with it's spread across the team some of the client managers do their own kind of clients payroll um, and others are kind of pulled to uh, Matthew and uh, Zeno who are who are kind of the support staff when it comes to payroll you may not have anyone specifically who has payroll experience so you could consider either recruiting someone who would then be the 
payroll person for all of your clients if you have enough payrolls to go around to make that worthwhile if not you could always outsource it and it's very cost effective to do that these days quite cheap to do that these days and what they white label it so you would be able to you know the client would think that uh, it's come from you anyway um, but it's just been white labeled by a payroll outsourcing provider so hopefully that's giving you some food for thought like i said there's no one answer when it comes to the right structure all depends on the kind of people that you have and uh, you know their individual skill sets and talents but hopefully giving you something to think about today in this short session otherwise i hope you found it valuable and if you did let me know give us a rating and a review it would be much appreciated let me know that you listen to this by reaching out to me on linkedin and feel free to suggest any ideas that you may have for me for any future episodes otherwise have a great rest of the weekend and week ahead and i'll catch up with you next week take care and bye for now thank you for listening If you want to spend more time together, get access to me personally for your questions, access to resources and training that will help you to shortcut your progress together with being part of an incredible community of accountants or helping each other, then come and join the pack, the Profitable Accountants Community. There's a hundred plus accountants that I mentor and they help each other to get results faster than trying to do it alone. Go to reshooter.com forward slash mentoring to learn more or message me directly on LinkedIn. Take care.